This set of verses today feels a little bit like a a cheat sheet for me because it's a set of verses that are both connected in with the church vision but also a set of verses which uh, far too often I seem to have to preach around because this is one of those sets of verses that often gets chosen for a funeral service. So, let's start with the church vision bit. Uh, Just as a reminder, I, uh, as you know, uh, live just opposite the church tower, so quite often over the weekend I'll I'll be popping out for something and there'll be another set of walkers and uh, sometimes if they've already landed on on the little wall at the top of the hill, it's difficult to know which direction they're going in, uh, so I'll ask them whether they're heading into Bath or whether they've got another, uh, 96 miles to go or 97 miles to go or whatever it is. Uh, in fact, I was very helpfully able to direct some of them to a local hostelry the other day because they were in desperate need of a drink. Uh, so I hope Kevin appreciated the business of some, of some walkers who had completed 97 miles of the Coxwold Way so far. It's a picture of where we are, a church on the way located here in this particular bit of space and time. But it's also a, a picture of the fact that we haven't yet arrived. We're on a journey and that journey is about following the person of Jesus Christ. In him is found the truth and he brings us life and gives us access to the Father. A church on the way is emphasizing this focus, not just on uh, an hour on a Sunday, but on a life of discipleship, following the way of Jesus, walking in the habits that he taught his disciples and trying to reshape some of those for this generation. But we are being clear together that it is about following the way of Jesus. It's not something else. It's about the way of Jesus. Next term, we're going to start off by exploring a little bit more what it means to be in community together. But more of that then. When I was growing up, um, I grew up in a Christian family, and so I'm really grateful for the inheritance of that. But in my later teenage years, I really wanted to answer the question about whether or not I was just following in the footsteps of my parents or whether actually what they had taught me was the real way, whether it was worth its worth its stuff. And so one of the books uh, that I I landed in my hand was an encyclopedia of world religions. And I made my way through it relatively systematically in order to hold up what I'd been taught against all of the other faiths described in this encyclopedia of world religions. One of the reasons I'm standing here today is the conclusion was that actually Jesus is the way and there isn't a better way. And more than that, it doesn't just make sense. It works. It works to follow in the footsteps of Jesus in the best of times and in the worst of times. 
But the context that I most often preach this passage is in the context of a funeral. And it's got a strange beginning because there's this conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples about, about leaving them, about going away. And he's trying to prepare them for this future that, that they don't yet understand, but Jesus is very aware of. Not just of his uh, departure and the cross, but also getting them ready for heaven. And, and he talks about his father's house having many rooms. This is an amazing picture of heaven. It's a picture of the ancient world in which uh, a groom engaged to the bride would go back to his father's house and he would literally build an extension, another room on his father's house so that when they were married, they could go as a married couple and live at their father's house. So when he says, my father's house has many rooms and I go to prepare a place for you, he's literally saying, I am going to go and get a room ready for all of those that are following me. The whole of the bride of Christ. That includes the men and the women. Sorry, you are the bride of Christ, fellas. In the same way that the women are sons of God, because you receive his full inheritance. Jesus goes to prepare a place for us, this wonderful picture of heaven. But of course, Thomas asked that great question, Lord, we, we don't know where you are going. How do we know the way? And there comes this wonderful response, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But of course, there are uh, some wonderful foundations for this set of phrases in John's Gospel. They are deeply rooted in Old Testament thinking. They take us back to that place where Moses, having wandered around the wilderness for decades then encounters God at the burning bush. And he wants to know who God is. And God replies saying, I am who I am. I define myself. There's nothing that has been made. There's nothing in all of creation that can define me. I am who I am. This is the very nature of the God who we worship. Genesis describes it for us so aptly. We don't worship the things that God has made. We worship the God who has made them. I am who I am. And so Moses finds himself on holy ground. And as we bump into these phrases of Jesus recorded in John's Gospel... We too find ourselves on holy ground. Holy ground where Jesus is the bread, the resurrection, the light of the world. Where he is the way, the truth and the life. This is nothing short 
of Jesus claiming to be God. Over this last term, we've been running uh, a course on Wednesday nights. It's, if you like, it's alpha in bite-sized moments. And the idea is that anybody can drop in at any time and they'll get a kind of a Bible study and a bit of conversation and fellowship. Uh, we're, we're taking a pause for the summer, but we'll be starting again on the 17th of September. I, I'd love you to invite anyone to that. You know, and it, the idea is that it happens regularly. At the last session, we looked at uh, Jesus and Thomas and Jesus' appearance at the end of John's Gospel. And, and Thomas is there and he's here, in this context, he's saying, well, look, you, you, you might have seen him, but I'm not going to believe unless I see and unless I touch. And they're in a locked room. Again, for fear of the ruling Jewish council. And Jesus appears amongst them and he says, peace be with you. And he invites Thomas into that place to see and to touch and to reach out. And then he says, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas's response is this classic line, my Lord, my ruler, my King, my Lord and my God. You know, if, if this was not what Jesus had intended for them to understand, this would have been the moment for him to say, sorry lads, I think you've got it wrong. I, I'm just a good teacher. And that is not his response. His response is quite clear. He affirms Thomas's declaration. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Because you have seen me, you have believed. The purpose, John writes later on, is that we would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one. That we would understand and believe that he is the Son of God. Sometimes that little phrase in our uh, Western thinking is difficult to comprehend because if he's the Son of God, does that mean he's not God? He's just a Son of God. Well, Son in this context is not the same sort of sonship that we would understand. This is sonship in terms of the de- uh, the denotion of membership of a class of things or people. So if you are a son of Israel, then you are an Israelite. If you are the son of God, that means you are God. So John writes that we would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who was to come, that he's the son of God, and that we might have life in his name. You see, believing in Jesus as the Son of God, God himself, is not about a set of ideas and principles that we assent to. It's about a way of life that makes a difference in the good times and in the bad. 
And these little phrases of Jesus have this rich, interwoven connection between the Old Testament and the New, what has been and what is to come. But the thing that I hear so commonly is, well, Mark, isn't there another way? I mean, Jesus can't really have been uh, as serious as all of this Really, he, he, he must have, John must have got this wrong. Isn't there another way, uh, that these things, uh, should be expressed? And I'd just like to spend a, a few moments just unpacking that with you because as I understand it, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life, what he means is, I am the way, the truth and the life. But this question keeps on coming, isn't there another way? Well, let's, let's look at the other uh, big world religions. Let's look at the Jewish faith, first of all. Surely it, it's okay, God's going to include you if that's what you're part of. But the reality is this, that the Christian faith completes the Jewish faith. It is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. It follows on, it takes hold of all of that as its inheritance, and it says, the Messiah has come. Now, if you want to live in a world where you're still waiting for the Messiah to come, you're going to miss out on Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to get to the Father, the way is through Jesus. Maybe you'd say, well, Mark, what about, what about Islam? Because honestly, you know, we're all talking about the same God, aren't we? Well, here's the problem. I don't know whether you've, um, looked into the roots of, of the Islamic faith, but what, uh, what the context that that grew out of was, um, was a context where the faith that had been bumped into in terms of the Christian faith was a slightly warped version of what we have. If you like, it's a kind of, it's an offshoot out of the Christian faith, but not out of the Christian faith as we'd understand it. Why, why do I say that? I say that because, uh, the way that the Quran describes the Trinity in terms of what the Christian faith is, is not to describe God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, but it describes God the Father, God the Son, and Mary. God the Father, God the Son, and God, and Mary. You see, it's come from an offshoot of Christianity and bumped into that that was already warped. And if you want to take hold of that, Well, what you need to take hold of is that there is no system for dealing with sin. There's no system for dealing with sin in Islam other than you uh, standing on a set of scales and your life at the end of it being weighed for good or ill and you may or may not get in because the problem is also that we uh, we don't get in Islam, well, what's the measuring stick? So you never get to know. Whereas in Christianity, it's really clear. God has come in person, the person of Jesus, and he's paid the price for the wrongdoing of the whole of humanity.
And all we have to do is say yes. And we embrace freedom and life in all its fullness now, knowing that he also prepares a place for us in the future. Or maybe there's another way because maybe it's about liberal thinking. You know, in the late 1700s, people started to ask questions about the trustworthiness of the Bible, about the words of Jesus, about whether the resurrection really happened, about the meaning of Jesus' death on the cross. And the purpose was to try and reconcile intellectually the things that were growing up in contemporary culture and reconcile them to faith and to try and make them make sense. But the result... The result is that the power and authority of God is removed so that we can do what we want with who we want. The moment we take the power of God out of the equation and we remove the cross, there's nothing left. This expression of faith, this Christian expression of faith, It really does say that he's the only way. It really does say that Jesus is the truth, the truth in person, that he is the life. Human beings don't possess the answers. We seem to be making rather a mess of it. And that he is the way to the Father. What a world we're making for ourselves. Since technology, since we've got so good at technology, we've been trying to invent ourselves out of a job so that we can have endless leisure time, thinking that it would make us happier and happier. And we fill it with screens and scrolling and presenting a falsehood of our lives to others. And it doesn't seem to be making us any happier. The truth is this. That Jesus Christ is the way, the way to live. He is the truth, he's come in person. He is the life, and he's the one who brings us to the Father. Let me land with this. This morning, there's going to be a whole load of children who, rather than worshipping in church here with us, are going to be taken into the woods and they're going to light fires and say prayers and discover what it means to follow Jesus the way, the truth and the life in that context. Why would we bother to take them into a different context and invest in that way? Because we want them to get it. We want them to understand. Why would we invest in children's and youth work in this place? Because we want the generation that's coming to know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why would we invest in seniors' work in this place? Because we want people to know as they, uh, the, those latter days of their life, when, when relationships change, that they don't have to be alone. That God is with them. Why would we invest in pastoral care and within rich across uh, Western with those who are struggling in some aspects of their life? Because we want people to know. We're just about to re-advertise the worship role in this place.
and we want to appoint someone hopefully next term because we want to grow in this area of our shared life together. We're in schools, we're in care homes, we're in hospitals, we're in businesses and the chances are we've got an outlet on your street. Why? Because there are 20 home groups attached to this place with 211 adults in them. Do you know God's plan A for sharing his great news is you. We make a lot of investment, but all of that investment is to help each one of us share the good news of Jesus Christ. So let me land with just a few questions. And uh, once I can get the screen to work. Um, the questions are these. I'm sorry, there's a lot of them, but they're summed up in one question. The first question is this, what is your direction? But I kind of thought that was a bit ambiguous, so I thought I'd pin it down with five more. The first one is, do you accept that Jesus Christ is God? Have you reconciled that? If you haven't reconciled that, land it today. He's God. The next one, how are you following Jesus? How are you following the way of Jesus in your everyday life? The next question doesn't make sense as I'm reading it. Uh, but I'm dyslexic. Uh, it's, it's supposed to be something like, <laughs> uh, are you going after Jesus, uh, who is the truth? But you're going to need to rephrase the question because my, my brain is now gone. Next one, are you accepting fullness of life on his terms? And the last one, are you allowing him to bring you to the Father? I'll turn it into English for the next one, don't worry. What's your direction? Let me pray. Father God, help us as followers of Jesus, not just to give intellectual assent, but to walk in his ways for the glory of his name. Amen.